Hello and welcome back to the Glowface Digital Wellbeing Podcast. I am, of course, your host, David Talbot, and we continue the conversation we had last week with uh, reviewing the podcast between Chris Williamson, uh, the podcast host of the very famous Modern Wisdom Podcast, and the, his conversation with Dr. Andrew Huberman about phones. Really enjoyed the conversation last week and provided my thoughts. I think Huberman had some great ideas around what the, the dangers of the scroll function and that sort of library metaphor around shifting context being the real danger and Chris's comments about you know the number one life regret in the in the next 40 years will be I spent too much time on my phone just reinforcing the the mission statement behind Glowface Digital Wellbeing uh, being exactly exactly that problem so keen to hear their thoughts on the next part of this episode so let's uh, let's get right into it taught me I, I was I think correctly, uh, incorrectly, categorizing people's phone use as an addiction, and I think that you said it's much more like a compulsion. Right. And that is a child that's asleep or nearly asleep, protect like compulsively scrolling through their phone. Yeah, because a compulsion uh, does not the ex- an obsession is mental. This is a classic definition of compulsion as a behavior, but the compulsion in classic OCD doesn't relieve the obsession. Yeah. It actually exacerbates it. The payoff, right. lack of. So you're, you're not, it's sort of like an itch that you scratch and it just get, it itches more, right? And there is something. Taking a second to think about that. Um, Yes and no. I agree to an extent. I agree that compulsion is a totally fine way to characterize how we pick up our devices. We feel compelled to engage with them. The reason I like to still think of it broadly in some contexts as an addiction is because when you look at the classical definition of the word addiction, addiction, if you are addicted to something, it's harming your life in some way. It's really what the crux of, of when something turns from you know, a bad habit or a compulsion to an addiction. It's harming your life and it's harming the people around you who you love. And I think for a lot of people, their phone use is harming their relationships, is harming their families, harming their work, harming them personally. And they just don't realize it and they don't think it's a problem. And so that's why I think, you know, not for everyone, but for a lot of people, it's not a compulsion. It's certainly more of an addiction in the sense that it's causing damage to their lives and to the lives of people around them. Like that with social, I don't want to say social media, but with phone scrolling. Now that said, I mean, you know, I, you know, of my waking hours, most of it is spent foraging for organizing or dispersing information. And much of that is done on the phone or computer. Yep. But I do read books, you know, hard books. Uh, meaning physical books. I brought you one today. Thank you. Um, I like audiobooks too. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I watch your YouTube videos. So I learn when I'm on the internet. But yeah, occasionally it's the, uh, you know, well, I learn from nature is metal, but, occasionally, <laughs> but, but I haven't learned anything from the raccoon post. Um, <laughs> n- nothing of substance anyway. Well, here's the they thing. Except that they're very, like, they're very, like, cute and very... They um, do that thing when they di- scoop scoop food up like yeah. this. And they, then wa- they wash food in my pool now. I moved to a place I'm renting. It's before they carry on with the fun parts of their conversation. I think, again, Huberman makes a great point. You learn things from social media. You learn things from the internet. And now, 
is the default uh, method of uh, information of, of of learning on screens uh, like a deep knowledge way of learning? Uh, absolutely not. Like your default way to engage with a device is to do so in a distracted, in a shallow way. Your 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 default way to consume social media is through the scroll function, right? Because one, you get a nice little dopamine hit. It's a compulsion. It's somewhat of an addiction. Use the word you want. But the the default mode of engagement is not a considered thoughtful way. The default mode of engagement is a distracted way. And I think that's the crux there. If you can come to these platforms, if you can come in with a digital well-being mindset that you're in control, not the device, then you can absolutely glean wonderful things from these things. But that's the difference is no, you know, not many people are purposeful in how they engage with this kind of content with the, with their devices. Pool. I've never had a pool before. Okay. I've skateboarded a lot of empty pools, but I've never had one that had water in it. So, and they come through in the night, it's raccoon Olympics in the middle of the night. And they're coming through, they make a ton of noise and then they're washing their food. And it's pretty cute the first time you see it. But once they wake you up the third or fourth time, then you're, damn raccoons. you're trying to, yeah. So, you know, I haven't learned much from that, uh, from the raccoon videos. Certainly the fight videos haven't really taught me anything about self-defense or, or anything useful, except how, you know, just kind of cruel people can be. So I'm trying to change the algorithm by, by clicking on other things, but it it's, seems dude, pretty got, slow to change. I, I got to yeah. tell you this, it's got me on... I've never been into Star Wars. I've seen some of the movies or whatever, but I've never been into it. For some reason, it started delivering me short content about Star Wars lore. Like who would have won between oh. Darth Vader and Dark Maul and all this, like who was more powerful as a Jedi master and all this stuff. Interesting. And I've never been interested in this. And yet it's created in me the desire to actually be like, well, yeah, like would Master Yoda have won like, f f however many eons ago if he was at full power when the the, the Sith was at? And I, I don't even know what I'm talking about, but it's like created in me this thing. The interesting thing that you're talking about there is that there's um, when you're foraging, you spend enough time on the internet and you do find something that gives you that, oh, wow, I never knew about that before. And it's that... Um, sort of needle in a haystack that you're looking through. And that trigger of, wow, I found so I can talk about it on a podcast. This is really mm -hmm. interesting to me. That is the carrot, I think, that gets dangled mm -hmm. for, for very many people who want to feel better about their social media use and think, well, okay, yeah, you know, I wasted 90 minutes, but I did get that thing out of it. I read that Substack post or I, I found this new person that I really care about. Uh, you know, the variable schedule reward of uh, intellectual satisfaction is also in there, right? It's not just the shock. Sure. It's not just the cute. Yeah. Raccoon. I think what Chris is saying is certainly true is we walk away from social media feeling like we've learned something. We, we, we look at a post and we say, Oh, that's interesting. I, I didn't know that eating apples after 4 PM can keep me awake, right? There's some, random fact that you get from social media firstly the, the first thing i would say is that one it's like how do you <laughs> this is information this is not knowledge we keep coming back to these ideas but how do you validate that where's where's the where's the challenge what if what if that person's wrong like we just look at these needles and haystack and we go oh, wow that's an amazing fact and that's an amazing idea or that really speaks to me whatever it is how do you take the time on social media to to validate that that is in fact true Again, you don't because how you engage with that platform at the, through the scroll function is distracted. So you pick up information. You go, oh my God, it's amazing. I've learned so much about X, Y, or Z. And then you just move on. But you haven't. 
you've looked, you've, you've, you've taken 10 seconds to open up a library of ideas and you've touched one book briefly before jumping to the next library. It's not real knowledge. Yes, it is intellectually satisfying because you could take a fun fact forward into a different conversation, but it's not, it's, it's, it's not the same as, as learning something, truly learning something that you can digest, that you can, you can re- recycle in a, in a coherent way, and that, you, that is actually grounded in some sense of fact. Um, you, you know, Chris always says this thing around, you know, you don't want to have uh, loose opinions strongly held. You want to have st- uh, strong opinions loosely held, right? And loose opinions strongly held are the kind of thing you get from social media. For me, is that, you know, PubMed, a library of Congress. The only is, guy you know, that, who thinks that PubMed is I variable lo- schedule rewards. I remember when PubMed first came out as, as a, like a very searchable da- database and, and some of the journals later became electronic and now they're all available electronic. And I could not believe it. I was so excited because I used to go to the library and I have to pay with put yeah, money yeah. on the card and Xerox copy and stuff. But I, also in the library, I love libraries and I'd spend so much time when I was a, a student and graduate student and you'd find something. And it's like, I'd look around, like, did anyone, like, did you see that? <laughs> you see that? But since I was a little kid, I was discovering stuff in books and then talking about it to everybody, even if they didn't want to hear. And so I was professing from a young age in class on Mondays and things. So, so for me, it's hardwired into my system by now. And I think that, the, I, I do think that social media holds certain gems. I think we're thinking about talking about like mining yeah. for gems yep. Yep. of social interaction too. You know, I've gotten to know some people through social media where it's really enriched my life. I've reconnected with some people. Yep. And it's really enriched my life. It's allowed me to connect the dots um, going backward in ways I hadn't anticipated. And I think going forward, if you're asking about the kids in the video that you showed me, or you're talking about adults or anyone, it's the, the, the success is largely going to be determined by who has the most self-discipline. I really do. Now, it's always been the case, but I don't think it's ever been the case to the extent that it is now. Preach it, brother. Like it's so true. Uh, it it it's so true. Success, you know, in a professional, in emotional, in relational, in every way, is who can pay the most attention to the right things. Who can who can be the most focused? Who can delay gratisfa- satisfaction, delay gratification, so that's the word I was looking for, the, the, the longest. Uh, you know, yes, it's been the case for forever, but, I, you know, we are so hyper-exposed to distraction that if you can be the one who is digitally well, if you could be the one who engages with these devices in a thoughtful considered way if you could be the one that's a bit different and put your phone away in meetings or you can be the one that puts your phone away at dinner and has a conversation that's this is where success comes from in 2023 and beyond and if you continue to engage with glow face digital being content I, I, I guarantee you that you're going to see changes in places in your life that you never thought possible um, some content I want to put out next year will focus around just this. How do you use digital well-being to be a high achiever, high performer? Because if you don't learn how to control your use of devices, of phones, if you don't learn how to use a computer properly in a digitally healthy way, and I mean that seriously, then you, you know if you're a knowledge worker using emails and on Zoom calls and team messages, then you're not going to be successful unless you do learn how to do it well. 
so uh, it, it's 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 so true um and you know you think about the kids as well if you if you don't remember from last week those kids, they showed a video of kids who were you know obsessively engaging with their, their devices the successful the kids who will turn into successful adults will be those who that are digitally healthy who have learned how to engage with screens in a considered way as young children and not have allowed the addiction to set in uh, and if you can set that up with their kids you know it's going to feed well into their teens and well into their adult life if you cannot give these you know kids grounding to to engage with the devices in a proper way as when they're kids then what chance do they have when they grow up so th this is why i'm such a fan of taking some space from all action this is actually something i learned from rick rubin um you know i'm fortunate to call him a close friend. We, we communicate pretty much every day. And I went and spent a week with him abroad this summer. It was the worst time to travel. And I decided to go over to where he was in Europe and just spend the week with him. We had no plan. And um, uh, first of all, on the way over there, there was nothing to watch on the plane, but there was this Tom Petty documentary. And I turned it on. I'm not a huge Tom Petty fan, but it was interesting enough. And then Rick, Rick is in the documentary and he's in the documentary lying down doing the interview. Typical, like typical meaning unusual for most people, typical because it's unusual for Rick yeah. to be lying down. Um, and I thought, okay, so get there. I, I know his family well, and I love them. And, and it was really wonderful. It was beautiful. It's a beautiful part of Europe, but you know, I noticed, so we had this habit of, uh, we would tread water in the pool and listen to podcasts in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a wonderful podcast, by the way, uh, that, uh, we should all be aware of. I think it's a history of rock and roll in 500 songs by Andrew Hickey. Super nerdy. It's like a, getting a, like a graduate degree in rock and roll. It talks about the music, but also what's happening in like organized crime, how it impacted record sales. Very contextual, very cool. I'm very into that lately. And I'm in, and in this show on Netflix, have you seen Spy Ops? Yes. Very yes. good, right? Because it's not just like shoot them up type stuff. It's, it's really about how spy operations, uh, it, it, let me put it this way. It can teach you a lot about history, international history and, and um, geopolitical history. Um, so um, I go over there and we do some treading water listening to um, podcasts. I learn about this history of, of rock and roll and 500 songs podcasts. Um, we talk about it a little bit. And then I notice that, you know, Rick has a practice. I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this because um, I'm about to, um, you know, Rick has a practice. He has many practices, but one of them is he'll spend a good amount of time, you know, just sitting and thinking or lying down and thinking. And I, it didn't occur to me at the time, but later after I returned, I thought back to our first guest episode of my podcast. I host a guy named Carl Dyseroth, who's probably the, the finest bioengineer on the planet. He's also a fully active clinician psychiatrist. He's got five children. He's one of these phenoms, you know, that seems to be able to do everything. And he's a true genius. Um, he went to school with, uh, medical school with Peter T and Paul Conti. They were all in the same class. Yeah. Um, and I know him very well. And he's a colleague of mine at Stanford and, um, and everyone knows he's, he's a super, he's a super, he's a, like the Michael Jordan of neuroscience, um, except he's still active. Um, and that is not a statement about personality, just in terms of, of successful hit rate. Carl described a practice that he does after he puts his kids to sleep of where he sits deliberately, sits completely still and forces himself to think in complete sentences. And this set off an, a light in my head when I 
realize Rick does a form of this and Carl does a form of this. If you read the new Elon Musk book, they talk about Elon doing a form of this. The great Richard Feynman, physicist, Nobel Prize winner, talked about going into flotation tanks and doing a form of this. Einstein did a form of this. So what are we talking about? So I'm a neuroscientist, but I'm... What we're talking about is solitude. That's effectively what we're talking about. And I think Huberman's going to jump into a pretty, you know, I agree with what he's going to say about, um, about you know, neuroscience part, but I've got no opinion on that. It's, 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 it's very clever. But what he's talking about fundamentally is taking time to be alone with your thoughts. Um, you know who else did it? It's Abraham Lincoln. And I write about this in my book. You know, as, as a leader, he would take time at a place called the, sol the soldier's home. So away from the White House. The White House was a crazy place for him during the Civil War. All this noise, all this, you know, interact. People want his attention all the time. And so for him to get away to a place to think, he'd go to a different location, a place called the soldier's home. Or he could be alone by himself to think. People would find him in rooms, sitting on a chair, just in quiet, uh, by you know, by himself thinking. And it was that ability to think by himself that helped him progress and be the leader that he was. Uh, and you know, I talk a lot about what it means to have distracted leaders in 2023. But you know, Huberman's talking about these guys entering into states of solitude. You know, the, there's a Paul Tillich quote that says that isolation expresses the sadness of being alone, but solitude expresses the glory of being alone. And and it's it's so true. There's a, a you know, yeah. It's, it's, Sorry, so loneliness expresses the sadness of being alone. Solitude expresses the glory of being alone. And there is a famous uh, poem by a poet, Charles Bedoski. I can't even say his name right. Um, he says, isolation is a gift. Isolation, and we all had this time, iso-isolation thrown at us. In the last couple of years, this is really, oh my God, we're going back into isolation. It's a negative thing, but really it's... These guys are forcing themselves into isolation, into solitude, to places alone with their thoughts. One of our recent digital well-being quotes of the week was by Blaise Pascal, the, the French physicist and, and, and writer. He said that all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. It's just so true. Can you imagine if we lived in a world where people would take time by themselves in a room alone, thinking to themselves? forming their own opinion, not caught up in the noise of social media, the noise of the world around them. What a different world would have. Certainly not as smart as any of those guys. What we're talking about is body still, mind active. Now, I've become into increasingly curious about psychedelic therapies, um, one of which is, and by the way, only in a clinical context, et cetera, legality, et cetera not in kids, et cetera. But the practice is essentially um, macrodose psilocybin, but with the eye mask on, completely still mind very active. Okay, contrast that to a different behavior slash protocol that I'm very familiar with, which is I like to do long runs or rucks on Sunday. Body very active, mind not directed at anything in particular. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll do it without a book or podcast. Sometimes I do it with a combination of both. Many people talk about swimming or in the shower or um, cycling, some sort of rhythmic movement, drumming. The great Joe Strummer was really big on campfires. He, you know, I was gonna mention this earlier, but I'll mention it now that as an alternative to alcohol consumption, get your friends together around a fire. By the way, the firelight, the light from fire does not disrupt the circadian system. This has actually been shown. Candlelight, moonlight, firelight, as bright as it is, it's just very low lux. So 
that's where great things happen, independent of alcohol, right? Around a campfire. That's, it goes way back in our lineage. So there are these two states of mind and body. Just pause on that, uh, on that one briefly. Uh, I think, again, great point. Around fires. Uh, because Glowface is the whole idea. Uh, around it's a whole the whole idea around a glow face is someone who's sitting around a fire who chooses to pull their phone out and starts to look at their phone and their face is illuminated by the blue glow of the screen and you get a, you get someone who's a glow face right and isn't it interesting and so true if you think about it if you sit around a fire people talk people open up they look into the fire they start talking they're freed up by the fire in conversation and it's it's just so it's it's so connected to our evolutionary heritage, right? Well, fire was the main reason we became the species we are today, uh, and hugely, hugely um, interesting to kind of relate that back to today. If you do put humans still in front of a fire, we 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 turn into philosophers and and we open up uh, hugely. So um, you know, even more reason to put your phone away when around a fire to engage in that in that deep fire-led conversation. ...that I find fascinating to the point of being intriguing, to the point of having modified what I do now, because they, they, they're the inverse of one another. Body completely still or close to completely still, mind very active. Could be with psilocybin, but that's not the protocol I'm recommending. I'm talking about some very, very smart, extremely accomplished people who all did the same thing. The other is body very active. Mind isn't still, but is not deliberately um, channeled to any particular linear kind of story or something like that. There's a state in sleep where our body is literally paralyzed and the brain is extremely active. It's called rapid eye movement sleep. So I'm sort of raising a flag for this potential protocol slash practice. I don't have any peer reviewed science to support what I'm about to say, but I have enough examples of extremely accomplished people now uh, in front of me to realize that there's something special about divorcing mind and body function temporarily, deliberately sitting there and just thinking. And recently I had a conversation with the great Paul Conti and the addition of the words, the great in front of him are appropriate here. He's, I, I believe based on my observation of his clinical work and, and uh, intellectual acumen that he's the finest psychiatrist of our age, clearly integrating from so many backgrounds. He's worked with a ton of interesting people. Coming on the podcast um, in December. Amazing, I, and he's just phenomenal, right? Um, not just about trauma, but about everything, personality types, narcissism, gaslighting. I mean, people throw those terms around like crazy. Paul will tell you what it actually means, okay? What those terms actually mean. But the ability to think and to access the unconscious. Paul refers to the unconscious as the supercomputer of the brain. For the, un the unconscious mind and the conscious mind are always in a dialogue, but here's the theory, here's the, the hypothesis, that when we bring our body into states of stillness in REM sleep, in these deliberate states that I just described that these other people actively engage in and have for a long time, that the unconscious mind can start to take over a larger percentage of that conversation and we have access to new ideas, new ways of structuring thought etc. And I don't think one requires psilocybin to do it, but I do think that is one avenue into it. Reliable. Um, that's reliable. It also carries certain hazards, right? Uh, because it's it's like being put on a mental rocket ship to some extent. It's not like DMT, but um, very little control over where one's cognition goes, although there is some in there. Um, anyway, I just wanted to throw this up 
on the wall because it's always fun to talk about new things and kind of what's coming, what I think is coming next. I think if I were to make a prediction, I think in the next two years, you're not just going to hear about meditation, non-sleep, deep rest, um, something I'm a big fan of, yoga nidra, hypnosis, but also whatever we want to call this, you'll probably come up with a better name than I can, body still mind active states. To act I think you could just call it, just call it solitude. I think what's interesting there as well, what Hubert is saying is these states of solitude help you know yourself better. And like you think, well, what do I mean to know myself? Well, there's this, clearly, there's this subconscious part of our brains that operates in the background that we really don't get to tap into actively. But through things like REM sleep or these times of solitude, you know, he's calling it uh, body still mind active, you get the chance to tap into this subconscious, you get the chance to know yourself that little bit better. And again, this is kind of the antithesis of, of screen time, mind hugely active, body still, right? But mind shifting context, right? Like, you know, pulling out books from the same library, you're constantly shifting context when you're, when you're, when you scroll through social media, I think Huberman's about to say that as well. Um, but really, you know, I think there's, there's a, there's a quote, uh, um, by, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. He says that, and he, he calls friendship a, a form of solitude, right? And the soul, he says the soul environs itself with friendship and so that it might enter into a grander soul sense of self-acquaintance that might get to know itself better, right? And this kind of dialogue that they're having is a way for you to have solitude, right? About this in my book is you can have a friend, you enter into a grander sense of self-acquaintance with around a fire, even think about that. Um, and you can, you can have these conversations that tap into your subconscious that help you get to know yourself that little bit better. And that's what solitude gives you. And that is not what our screens give us. Access different aspects of our unconscious and cognition. And I must say that we do this with the phone. Sorry, I, I just, because uh, I realized you were about to say something. And when you speak, you say interesting things. And I learned cosplay, <laughs> little LARPing. Don't, I don't learned. put those ones as the most interesting. Oh, no, you say many interesting stuff. No, there's other, no well, in terms of new terms. Okay. New terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sunderland. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> those weren't the most interesting concepts, I, I, but I'm learning is the point. I wasn't, I, I wasn't being sarcastic. Um, that when you, we sit and we're just scrolling, yeah, we're, we're, we're more or less body still, mind active, but guess what? None of it's coming from within. It's all coming from the outside. So whether or not it's psilocybin in the eye mask or, or Carl sitting there, eyes closed, deliberately still thinking, or Feynman in the, in the salt equilibration chamber, you know, the, the float flotation tank or, or Rick lying there thinking, whatever it is he happens to be thinking, whatever amazing album he's going to now, you know, help produce, um, or Einstein. I mean, you know, we can think of the phone and the scrolling as, as lending itself to less ability to focus in ADHD, but just the real crime, the real insult to humanity, for me, the real cost is what about all the creative imagination of things that come from inside that could be generated by by people in that time. So I, I'm I've started doing a practice of 20 minutes a day of just sitting and eyes closed. Typically, sometimes it's right as I wake up, but usually it's not. And just trying to think about certain topics and hold those topics in a kind of a linear way, or sometimes just letting stuff geyser up. Hmm. Anyway, um, some people. Might
uh, couldn't agree more with with what he's just saying. You know, you compare the the idea that what you, you know you become by not having this time of solitude and just consuming content, you become what you consume. But you become something external from yourself. You do not get the chance to know yourself, know your thoughts, know how you actually think and feel about something. You just get told by your screen how to think and feel about something. You just get told, given information, you never get the chance to make your own opinions or form your own knowledge in times of solitude. And... Again, the whole idea around uh, the creativity side of this is when you come to these times of solitude, you get the chance to know yourself better and you get the chance to come up with new ideas. And I just I couldn't agree more with what he said. The real crime, the real crime is that we might not get to experience people in their fullest. You know, my first chapter in the book is around the loss of talents and my biggest fear for screen time is that kids' talents are being taken from them by screens. You don't get to see the creative side of these people emerge because they're spending their 10,000 hours looking at screens. They're not spending their 10,000 hours working on their talent, working on being creative, getting to know themselves better, tapping into their subconscious and learning who they are and what they're here to bring, who they've come to show up to be. They just end up becoming a reflection of their device they don't get to become who they really are who they you know who they've been put on this earth to be and just so so true that the real crime the real crime is the loss of that talent the loss of creativity the loss of ideas that you know glow face digital well-being is, is here to to stop that to help people tap back into their talents, tap back into their creative side and, and get to know themselves better so they can show up and be the people who they want to be. You know, you wonder why people have we've, a bit of a detour here, but, you know, why we've had such an explosion of mental health issues in our society. You know, part of the reasons people don't, you know, they don't, they have don't have a sense of a grounded sense of self in anything that's relatively real because their sense of self is derived from the content they're consuming. How can you really know how you feel and how you think and who you are if all you're doing is staring at screens all day? You can't. So, having that time in solitude is just is is one of the crucial ways to get to know yourself and you bring your creative best and to bring who you've heard, you know, to, to bring out the person that you were created to be, designed to be in this world. We might think of this as like completely um, wacko woo, uh, new agey stuff, but the, the list of names I, I read off there are people that do that and have been doing this for a long time and attribute this practice as one of the major sources of their best ideas mm. is a, a non-trivial list. When I think about that, there's a few different ways that are slightly similar. Uh, the number of people who've had great ideas whilst walking and attribute an awful lot of their success to walking. And Frederick Ross, the philosophy of walking, so many people, avid walkers. Uh, and again, I talk about this in my book. You have um, Charles Darwin, avid walker. Jesus of Nazareth walked from place to place to place talking, you know, the most famous human of all time, arguably speaking, was a, was a prolific walker. Uh, William Wordsworth, the English poet, walked all the time. Gandhi, 
he progressed his way of life through walking. You know, read read Frederick's book, um, Philosophy of Walking. But walking as a form of solitude, uh, Frederick says the two, you know, you, you know, the two become one. Your voice, the voices in your head, sort of become one, so to speak. Is is, is you have a dialogue between yourself, uh, with yourself as you walk. Uh, walking in solitude is a great way. It's a really practical way. Just go for a walk without your device, with nothing, completely device-free, and let the conversation arise in your head, and you will get to know yourself better just through walking. Thinking. Right. I'm aware that you're talking body still, mind active, but it's but, like body yeah. mostly still. It's not exactly yeah. like... Or, or perhaps there is a unique way to access this too. Maybe it's a different channel to a different brain state. Maybe it's a yep. different channel to the same brain state. Like I love doing long rucks and long runs on Sunday. That's my goal on Sunday. Get out as much as possible into the nature and just move in some sort of repetitive way. Like a yep. mule, I'll throw on a rucksack because Peter Atia got me into that. Hmm. Um, sometimes it's with other people, sometimes alone. Sometimes I listen to a podcast, sometimes I don't. Sometimes an audio book, sometimes I don't. But something about, about motor repetition, uh, so this is not sets and reps. This is not restacking the plate. This is, you know, minimum amount of cognition required. Dump, dump, freeing dump, up dump, mental dump, space dump. to do other things. Yeah, could be on the rower. So again, I think different people will do it differently. I've been hanging around with a lot of musicians lately. Um, I, I've become good friends with one of my favorite musicians, songwriters, Tim Armstrong, lead singer for Rancid Transplants. He and Travis Barker did Transplants. And, you know, it's... It, um, and, you know, it's clear that musicians, especially drummers, but other musicians, well, they're, they're always in a rhythm in their head. They're, uh, actually, Tim and I, the other day, we, we went someplace and we walked out. He's like, did you hear that? I'm like, did you hear what? He's like, you didn't hear that? I was like, what? He's like, you know, they had the news on and the radio on. And, the, you know, he's so tuned into the audio environment. Mm. I'm not, right? I'm not that audio or, um, oriented, more visually oriented. But, you know, people who have an internal rhythm that they're, 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 they're noodling on something in their head. I mean, this is, this is the substrate of creative work, right? And, I, and again, the phone isn't evil, but the moment you're taking in sensory input from, that includes things that have already been creative, uh, excuse me, created, you're, yeah, you could argue that those are the macronutrients that you're gonna combine for your own creative thing, the gems in the internet. So studies, scientific studies for me are interesting things on YouTube, but there's also just the raw materials of creative work that come from limiting sensory input and just going inside. Self-generating it. Yes, yeah, so I've been thinking. So that's the end of their conversation. And I think a great final topic just to wrap this up on is the hurt, the barrier to create creativity. There's a book that I've been meaning to read, but called The Obstacle is the Way, right? And effectively, the idea is that, you know, what's the problem you're looking at? That's the way forward. And what we get to do with screens is we start on a creative endeavor. We start to solve a problem and we hit the obstacle. We hit the roadblock, roadblock right? And it makes us feel uncomfortable. And you may notice this in your own life. When you get uncomfortable, what do you do? You pick up your phone, you open social media, and you scroll. I do it. I've done it hundreds of times, right? Guilty. Guilty as charged. And the only way forward is to push through that. The only way forward is to stop and think and find a creative solution to get around the roadblock, to overcome writer's block. To, to solve the maths problem, whatever it is, to make progress. 
And the more you do that, the more you learn who you are as yourself, the more creative you can be, and the more you can bring your full self to this world. And hopefully this conversation, I really, really enjoyed listening in to Huberman and Chris Williamson talk, Dr. Huberman and Chris Williamson talk about this stuff. Because again, super passionate, they touched on some great points uh, throughout both of these last two weeks that we've, we've reviewed their podcast. But really, I'd encourage you to find some time of solitude. I talk about different ways of solitude in my book. Walking is one. Time alone in a quiet room is, is one as well. I think reading one is, is, is a form of solitude. Friendship, conversation with friends is a form of solitude as well. But hopefully there's a whole bunch of ideas you can take from this conversation to you know really start to think about the value of digital well-being in your life because clearly digital well-being isn't just some, you know, pasty white guy in a, in a glow face t-shirt with some guitars behind him talking to uh, a microphone. It's, it's becoming a conversation that the, the top of the social, the, the, the sort of philosophical podcast world is engaging in. And, and these are ideas that are already out there and the solutions that digital, glow face digital, digital well-being will be bringing. So thank you so much for listening and we'll be back again next week with some more conversations and content to help you become more digitally well.